morning, everybody. If you'd like to stand, we'll uh, start the day off with a song. Here, God, as we uh, 
We seek to grow this morning. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Y'all can be seated for a minute. Good morning. How is everybody? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. I was going to have you check your pulse there for a minute. Wasn't quite sure how you were doing. Um, as we go forward with communion this morning, um, I was thinking one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible comes from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And let's just stop and think a minute. God gave his son. What a sacrifice. He gave his son for us. That we could be saved. That we could be saved. Through him, we have that opportunity. And if you read further in that verse, you'll read about the light and you'll read about the dark and the fact that those that are saved and recognize God as their Savior, are in the light. And those that are not are in the darkness and will be condemned. Where are we? God gave his son for us. What are we willing to give for him? And I know I'm as guilty as everybody else, Ah, you know, I don't got time for that. Ah, I can't do that right. Ah, I can't do that right. You know what? Every once in a while, I do step back and I think, wait a minute. Where are my priorities? What's important? And what really matters? And so I hope today as you commune that you can look and realize that this symptomatic event is because of what Jesus did for us. This was his son who died on the cross so that we could have everlasting life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you are in our lives, knowing that you are there to pick us up at those times that we stumble and fall, push us in those times when we are uncertain, and pat us on the back when we have made you proud as a parent. Father, as we worship today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts, that you renew us in many, many ways that we could walk forth as a new person. Give us the strength, dear God, to be a witness unto others, to lead others to the light, the light that shines because the light is you. May we recognize that our hope is in you and our faith comes from you. Father, as we commune today, as we take these emblems, may we remember what you gave for us so that we in some small way can return unto you those things that would benefit your world and the others that we live with in it. Bless us, watch over us, protect us. These things we ask and pray through your wonderful name. Amen.
you'd like, go ahead and stand and sing with us again.
Go ahead and have a seat, everyone. Really glad to be with you guys. Um, church is a, can be a pretty lonely place during the course of the week. Uh, this week, uh, um, I, usually I work with Brian and with Brittany, and uh, Brittany had a, uh, she's had some uh, losses in her world, and so she's had to step out for uh, a funeral or two, and um, there was a day where it was just me and this place, and it was, it was hard. I couldn't believe how hard it was just not to have another human being here. We need people, don't we? There's just something about having people around us that makes all the difference in the world. And I, I, I felt like just in the short amount of time that I was in the building by myself, I was kind of going crazy. And I thought, wow, this is really something. And uh, I have to say that the, the highlight of my week is really to gather with you guys and to worship with you and worship with you guys online for sure. Uh, last week, uh, Matt did a fantastic job bringing the message. And we closed out a series making sure I'm on and I'm, I'm, I'm queued up. We closed out a series on, um, on virtually reality. And I just wanted to do a couple of one-off sermons uh, in the follow-up from that that have hopefully some bearing on just things that we're struggling with. Uh, but I did get to experience online worship for the first time as, um, as I, I stayed home with my wife and we watched the services online and uh, it was really cool. Uh, I was glad to be able to do that and experience singing. And I, and I sang at the kitchen table to the computer. And I'm sure that people in the room were just rejoicing when I stopped singing. Well, I know that it's not always easy, but it, my spirit definitely was elevated by just uh, joining you guys in, in that experience. And so either way, if it's online or whether it's in person, uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, for sure, and with brothers and sisters. Um, I, the message that I'm going to be offering today uh, is, uh, I was going to entitle it, um, I Need People or I'm Going to Go Crazy, um, and you'll see why in the message, and, uh, but, it, but it's about a transformed life and what that looks like. And we're going to look at a transformed man and explore what Jesus did to make his world a better place, and I think your world and mine as well. But before we get into that, I, I just want to encourage you to put any prayer concerns <clears throat> that you might have um, uh, and just uh, uh, share them however you feel on a piece of paper. I think we have like a little notebook in the back you can write stuff in as well. And um, maybe just a few that we can solicit right now if, if there are any uh, on your heart that you want to share. Anybody have anything that they'd like to share this morning prayer-wise? Okay, Patty Pym? I would like prayer for Casey Dale. Casey Dale? She has, uh, MS. Okay. Dealing with MS. So she's struggling right now, Casey Dale. Okay. Keep Casey lifted up. Anyone else? I'm sure you have things, but um, uh, sometimes you're shy. Okay. Yeah. Shelly Bergman. Yeah, this was actually a close friend of Brittany's. 
uh, Ashley Bergman. And so we want to pray for her mother, Shelly, and just for her family right now. I know that it's just been a difficult, difficult moment for them. Uh, so pray for the Bergman family. And uh, any, anyone else would just, Sean? Brother-in-law's mother? Okay. Okay. Sure. Pray for them as they, uh, your, your sister and her husband? McCrary's. Okay. Very good. I'm trying to say it in a way that keeps our online people engaged as well, because sometimes if you're watching online, I notice there's a little bit of a gap. So if I interrupt you talking, I'm just sharing it for them. Okay. Joe Carroll? Okay, her name's Susie Cor. Decor, Sue's decor, Sue Decor. Okay, we'll do. She's got um, swelling from her diabetes, so pray for that. Okay, well let's go ahead and just take. Oh yeah, Pat. Sorry. Okay. Oh no. <clears throat> Oh, very sorry about to hear about that. Your son, Chris's wife's sister? Fiance, okay, all right. Her sister passed away suddenly. So let's pray for that family as well. Let's go ahead and just take all of these things to the Lord as we, um, as we just go before his throne. Would you bow with me? Father, as we begin this first day of the week, we are thankful for the privilege of being able to gather. And Lord, we know that you put desires in our hearts to be with your people, whether it is online or whether it is in person. And that's just the way you wired us, Father. Just thank you that we can gather in these different ways. We can stay in community. We can stay in conversation. We can just draw from you that strength that we need as we feel so often that we're just fighting these battles alone and these struggles. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to realize there are people that surround us and lift us up in, in, in a spirit of prayer. And so all of the names that we've mentioned uh, in the course of these um, prayer concerns, we want to lift up to you, Father, and just pray for families that are grieving right now from loved ones that have passed away, and some suddenly, and uh, it's very uh, shocking and traumatic for those families, uh, the ones that, um, uh, that, that were mentioned, the, the Bergmans and um, uh, Chris's fiancés, family as they struggle with what this means and how this happened. Uh, we pray, Father, for your peace to be with uh, Sean's sister and her husband as they also are going through this season of mourning. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you, Lord, and for the strength that you give us in these times. And I pray as well for um, um, uh, uh, a family that um, I did a funeral for yesterday, uh, Bud, and uh, I just pray, Father, that you would just be with that group of people who are struggling right now. And I pray as well for um, uh, this lady that Joe Carroll mentioned who has diabetes. I pray that you help her to be able to overcome what is a chronic struggle, I'm sure. 
We pray, Father, that you would uh, be with uh, those in our church that we know are going through times of recovery. So we pray for Jack Leeper. We lift up Gladys Votan. We pray that you help Gladys to find strength as she is going through a very critical moment right now. And I just ask that you help her and that you heal her. And Father, just for all these things that we've lifted before you, we, we pray that you would just touch these lives. And for those in the room who are seeking encouragement, I pray that you would just help them to see how real and how present you are in each of our lives every day. And for some, it's going through the valley of the shadow of death, like the psalm says, and yet we know that you are with us. And Lord, we give you praise for that. We are so grateful that we are not alone, that you are our constant companion. And Lord, as we just lift these things up to you, we pray uh, for our church and for all of our people, Lord, that they could draw from you the strength that we all need in this time to not only face the challenges that each day presents and, and look for opportunities to be a witness and to share uh, the good news that we have of your kingdom, of the gospel, of everything that is a source of blessing from that great gift that Denny spoke about that we have received in your son. And we just want to worship you today in a spirit that honors all the things that you've done on our behalf, a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving and um, all the transfer transformative things that are occurring in, in lives because you are a close source of blessing. And Father, I finally just want to lift up our teachers as they go back into school settings and the struggles that they have in figuring out what the expectations are and what the responsibilities are and what that means as things change from day to day regarding how it is that we respond to um, the conditions that we're facing. I pray for administrators that they would have wisdom to be able to provide a stable environment for those who are committed to teaching, to be able to do the work that they're called to do, and that there would just be um, a, a, an alignment and a wisdom in these realms. I pray for all of our kids who are going back into school settings with things that are unknown and perhaps confusing. I just pray for each of the schools in the area that they would have your blessing upon them and that you would be at work in the lives of everyone that takes part uh, in the educational process. And Lord, there are just so many fronts that we need to lift up to you. So we pray for those recovering from um, uh, tornadoes and windstorms and things that are calamitous that happen in nature that are traumatic for those who have been the victims of that. And the, the, list, the list just goes on and on, Father. But we thank you that we live within a kingdom that enables us to have a peace and a calm in the storm. And Lord, as we just take the substance of all of that that I've mentioned, and hopefully uh, we are in agreement, help us to pray together now the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, as we um, uh, move into our, our time in the Word, if you have your Bible with you, please feel free to look at um, <clears throat> Mark chapter 5 with me. We're going to be looking at about 20 verses, and it's sort of a little two-part story that's going on here that I'd like to explore with you. And it has a lot to do with a person who struggled with trauma. And I don't want to minimize trauma any, but uh, we all face it to varying degrees um, in, in any given day. Uh, for uh, myself, a trivial trauma was we, we, did, we, we migrated uh, uh, our, uh, from one bank to another, and we had to go through all of the direct deposits and all of that stuff. And the thing that I was fearing the most was having to contact certain people that, of course, I pay money to, and them directing me through their phone tree and me getting to the right person to get the right information so that the right things can happen at the right time. And when it comes time for the bill to be paid, that it's paid on time. And you would think that something like that in this day and age would be relatively easy but a couple of times when I made that phone call and it went through the whole cycle of directing you through that decision tree, I wound up with this sound. And it was like, start over. And I'm like, you know, I just, I quit because this is too much. I don't know how to get through. And then I had one where it had been an automatic withdrawal for so long, and I hadn't received any paper for a long time, and the account number was something that I, I didn't even know what it was anymore. And so I called the company, and I said, I need to know the account number for my, uh, for, for, for my, for my billing. And they said, well, can you give us the password and login for your thing? And I'm like, I don't know that either. And they said, well, if... If you can't give us the password and login, we can't give you the account number. And I said, well, how can I get a password and login? And they said, uh, give us your account number and we'll give you the... And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It was, it was, it was traumatic. I, I just told my wife, I said, here, you do it. I can't do this anymore. I'm overwhelmed. But there are other traumas that we have or we're looking at having to face day-to-day -day realities that we never thought really much about in the past, but just going to the grocery store can be traumatic because you're not sure. And when we shift from yellow to orange to red, you're like, I don't know what that means, and I don't know exactly what it all means anyway. And in that confusion, it can be a little bit emotionally destabilizing. All that said, we look around and we counter blessings because we haven't thankfully had to deal with hurricanes and tornadoes and things that are devastating to our livelihood and our well-being and our homes. And then we think about how there are people who are suffering way beyond what we've had to suffer and it kind of puts things in perspective a little bit. And today whenever we go into the message, I, I want to look at uh, an individual who is living in the wake of a lot of things that have happened in his world, so much so that um, he's honestly just not right at all because he's experienced trauma from without and within. And that leads us to the passage of Scripture that I want to look at today found in Mark chapter 5. 
And here's what we read. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. I just want to stop right there for a second and put things into a little bit of background context because if you can imagine the Sea of Galilee and Jesus being up here at the top with uh, his friends in Capernaum performing miracles amongst his Jews, and then over here is a region on the other side of the Sea of Galilee called the Ten Cities. And the ten cities were on the opposite side of the River Jordan. They were out in the kind of the, the mountainous desert region, but they were nonetheless ten cities that the Greeks and then the Romans used militarily as well as administratively for the purposes of tax collection. Those ten cities were pretty pagan. They were the places where no Jew dared to go. It was a location that had actually experienced its own fair share of trauma because when the, the the, the, the mighty empire of Alexander the Great came in and restructured everything in that region with those towns. And then the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, came in, and he did his thing with those towns. And then there was Vespasian, who was a little bit before the time of Jesus. And whenever he came in, he took the substance of what was left, and he just annihilated it. Much, annihilated it that much more. This region had people that were compliant to the Roman government, and they just did what they're told. But it also had people that said, we're tired of getting beaten up by these bullies, and they resisted. And there was one community called um, Gadara, and some people say it was Gisara. There's some confusion about that, but let's just go with it, okay? And just a couple of decades before what we're getting ready to read, in this region over here I just mentioned, the 10 cities, a couple of decades before, there was a little community, it's probably about half the size of, maybe a quarter of the size of Salem. And there was this just resistance to the oppressive rule of, and, the, and the policies and the regulations of the Romans, and they pushed back. And Vespasian told one of his generals, I need you to go into that town and make an example of them. And here's what you need to do. You need to just take a thousand of their young men, we're talking, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old men, and just kill them in front of everybody. And if that doesn't get their attention, you need to take uh, some of the people out of their homes and just kick them out and say, you can't come back anymore. And kill a few while you're at it. And if that doesn't get their attention, you need to go into these homes and just take whatever you want and do with these people whatever you want. Now, can you imagine that happening in Salem, Ohio, in our community, in your home and mine today? Well, thankfully, we're not there. But in this case, there were a number of little towns in this region where no Jew dared to go that had experienced that. And the rest of the people, well, they're like, we're just going to live like the Romans, and we're going to carry on like the Romans, and we're going to do life like the Romans. This town where no Jew would dare to go, these 10 cities that represented Roman rule and Roman culture and Roman decadence, a lot of people believe that, have you ever heard the story of the prodigal son? 
You know, he says, I'm just a farmer and it's boring and I want to go to the city and have fun. It's believed that the city that he went to was actually across the, the Sea of Galilee over in this region of the 10 cities. And it was like farm boy from Kansas going to New York City. A little overwhelming, pretty fun at the beginning, but it just left him devastated in the end. That place. Jesus told his disciples, let's go to that place. And they looked at him and said, our parents said we can't go there. And these are, you know, probably the disciples, 18, 19, 20, 21 years of age, still listening to their mom and dad, like we should, right? And as uh, they were looking at the prospects of going over there, they're like, Jesus, are you nuts? And Jesus is like, no, I'm actually on a mission. And so they got in the boat and they started to take the trip about, I don't know, let's say 10 miles on water across the lake. And as they're going, do you remember the story about Jesus calming the storm? You know, they're in the boat, Jesus is sleeping, and the storm just begins to wash over the entire boat. And they're clearly going to capsize and die. And Jesus gets up and just says, be still. And all of a sudden, went to a level five hurricane, turns into a sunny tropical paradise, just like that. And they're like, where does he get the authority? So all of that is in the background of what we're getting ready to read. So they came, well, they came to the other side. And that's a big statement because they've never been to the other side, as, as I've just shared. And when they went there, Jesus stepped out of the boat and immediately, well, he met this guy who was, well, he wasn't right in the head, and he was socially very disconnected, very socially isolated. Matter of fact, the region that he came from, as you're reading the text as I'm describing it, the region that he came from was kind of desolate. There were tombs and graves, a place where you wouldn't go. Any self-respecting Jew wouldn't hang out in a cemetery because it's unclean. And around this region, there were also people tending herds of pigs. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture and way of life, bacon is not on their top one million list of things that they can eat. And so there's pigs and there's tombs. It's completely unclean. And I'm sure the disciples were like, holy cow, we just stepped into that place otherwise known as H-E, you know what. And as they're looking at the scene in front of them and they see this guy, I'm sure they're just thinking, we are in way over our head with this Jesus. But you know the funny thing about Jesus when he comes into our world? He's not intimidated at all by the circumstances that he finds us in when he meets us. He's not bothered in the slightest about the baggage that we carry, about the things that we're attached to or connected to. He's not interested in us getting all of that sorted out before we can let him in. He just wants to come into your world and mine 
and begin to go to work. I love what Danny said. It was so simple but so true. That is God's love. That is how much God loves, loves us. And this story is so profound because it's one of the longest ones that talks about miracles and exorcism in, the, in all the Gospels. And so here this guy is. He lives among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and he wrenched and the, chain, the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And he cried out in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High? God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, and numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and when pigs fly, they drown in the sea. We're going to stop right there because this kind of sets up what is getting ready to happen. And I just want to just share a little bit of this guy's story. As I mentioned before, the Roman government came in and decimated a community that was very close to where he was from. Chances are he had family members that were that were killed off in this little example-making incident that happened in Gadara with the, with the Roman legion. About 2,000 Roman soldiers coming into this community, having all their military gear in formation, totally intimidating and devastating. And everybody that remained carried that memory day after day after day. And the past constantly haunted them with the images that they couldn't get out of their mind. And this sense of reliving that every day so preoccupied them that they couldn't even be in the present moment. And for one, well, he actually embodied everything that he saw his people go through. And we, how do we know that? Because when Jesus says, what is your name? I don't think it's any accident that the name of the spirits that were inhabiting him, numbering 2,000, was Legion. So here it is. On the outside, you have things happening and pressing in on the world of the people of that community literally to the breaking point. And then you have on the inside this individual who has things going on inside of him that also represent the presence of lead. Inside and outside, it's all at work in his world. 
It has socially alienated him. Social distancing wasn't a problem for him or anybody that came into contact with him. They, they clearly practiced that way before we did. And as they looked at this guy and they saw how he carried on, they knew that he was a deeply troubled soul. But what I love about this story is that it tells people like you and I that there is not a person on this planet that is exempt from the love and the care and the healing of Jesus. He has that kind of authority. And this is what he's setting out to do. He goes on a boat ride from his hometown of Capernaum down to Gadara, and he meets this guy, and the guy is obviously not fit for church. I mean, could you imagine him coming into our setting? But it would seem like that would only be appropriate. And as Jesus is going through this mini-drama, obviously, the pigs, I think, represent a lot of things, but one of them is just the uncleanness of the moment. And there's just so many sidebars that we could go into in, in this storyline that have to do with demons and pigs and uncleanness and all that, but I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to look at the story a little bit more as it, as it unfolds for your benefit and for mine, because I really feel like maybe we are not that guy. But I'm assuming that we have had things press in from without and things that trigger us from within that we need the Lord's help with. We really do. And in a moment like this, I truly believe he is the only one that can be a stable anchor. I mean, we are used to having authorities in, your, in our lives, and authorities are important. We are called to pray for our governing authorities and pray for people that have authority over other people, whether it is um, administrators or superintendents or teachers or anybody that has a responsibility to influence people, hopefully for the positive, in community. We pray for all of them. But when the voices of those authorities just keeps shifting as the uncertainty of this moment keeps shifting and the realization that we just don't have a handle on it, it is destabilizing. I have to be honest with you. We're so used to trusting these authorities as being the bedrock of our existence. And when they themselves don't know we shudder with uncertainty. It's kind of like my kids, you know, when mom, when myself and my wife, we get into a little bit of a disagreement, all of a sudden, they're kind of triggered. They're like, what's going on? Are you guys okay? They get real nervous. And, you know, some of them will even take it to, are they, are they going to break up? And the reason why it is so unsettling is because the authorities in their lives love them or hate them, agree or disagree with them, they make you feel secure. We need them. And when it gets a little shaky, those underneath them get, a little, get even more shaky. It just ripples out. And I don't know how to say this enough right now. 
There is one authority who is not shaky, who is stable, and who is not intimidated by any challenge thrown at him. And the authority that you know and I know that we're talking about, and hopefully you guys online know this as well, and if you don't, I hope that you begin to internalize this truth. Jesus is the stable authority. Whenever Jesus said to the wind and the waves, peace, be still, they had to obey. When Jesus says to you and me, in the midst of the storm, peace, be still. It's a way of us being able to recognize that if we are attached to him, we will have a peace that defies all understanding. And only Jesus can offer that. There's a part of me that speculates that the moment that we're going through is sort of like a challenge, asking each of us the question, what is your stable anchor? What are you trusting at the bedrock of your life? And if you're not trusting Jesus but something else, I can assure you right now in this moment your world will be rocked. But if you are trusting Jesus and no one else I can assure you, you'll probably sleep okay at night. You'll be concerned because we're responsible for a lot of things that are uncertain. But trusting, trusting that he is more than able to help us with any challenge at all. All right, so that sets us up for what is about to happen. If you don't believe what I've said, this is what occurred to this guy who was so out of his mind. It says this. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I'm going to just stop right there and say this. Why? Why, if you have all of that power, Jesus, and you are able to do that in the wake of a region that has been decimated by the bullying and the, well, the abuse and the out-and-out out murder of our people? Why are you sending Jesus away when it would appear that of all the people, he has a response that's worth looking into? Why did they say, we don't want you here. I'll tell you why. Because I think sometimes when we can just make our peace with the way things are, even though they're not good or they're substandard, even though they're dysfunctional, at least, you know, it's the devil we do know. And 
we understand it. We're not okay with it, but we can survive under these conditions. And we've figured out a way to sort of cope with it and just settle into the reality that, well, this is just the way it is. And for some people, when it comes to hearing the good news of the kingdom of our Lord and what it means to live in that kingdom and be adopted into his family and taking on a whole new identity and a sense of security and the assurance that he is with us, for some, that is just too much. Because I kind of like, even though my world is a little jacked up and sideways, I kind of like the fact that I sort of have a delicate equilibrium. I'm content with that. I don't need Jesus to come in and just wreck that. I'm not even sure I trust him if he does come in to do what he says he's going to do. But what I enjoy about being with you guys is that I know a number of you have said, yeah, I finally, I finally gave in. I finally said, yes, I, I, I do accept you as my Lord and Savior because I have settled into things and they are not working and I know they're not working. I'm not going to lie to myself or kid myself anymore. I need help. And I know there's a fair number of us in the room who've said, that was the turning point for me. That's when I became a man or a woman transformed. That's the day I recognized that the promises that he offers versus the world that I've been settled and content in, though pretty messed up, it was worth it. And a number of these people just said, Jesus, you're too disruptive for me. But I have to think, honestly, let's just be honest. What can be more disruptive than the moment that we're living in right now? I mean, we've got our disruption. It's already been turned upside down. So that isn't even an excuse anymore. And I want to appeal to you with the good news. That there is somebody who can begin in the midst of the chaos to put it back into order. Not at the top political level, because that'll always be in chaos, but in our homes, in our personal lives, in the things that really matter. The day-to-day. -day. I mean, well, we live in a moment where everybody thinks that if I fixate on what's happening on the political front, and that gets sorted out, it'll all be good. I would just tell you, it won't. It won't matter. There will always be a crisis. If you've ever seen the movie Men in Black, there will always be a Carillion battlecruiser or a Cerulean death ray. You know, there's always something that's a threat. But at the level of the personal and the family and the local community, that's where the kingdom comes alive. So in the story... There was one guy who said, well, my world is already disrupted enough. I'm not losing anything by getting rid of that excess baggage of legion and hanging out in the tombs. I want to sleep in a nice bed and wear decent clothes and be able to do the things that I tell myself I want to do. And that's the picture that we see in these verses. Let's just go ahead and see where we end up at. So Jesus says, 
gentlemen, our work here is done. And he gets back in the boat to head back up to Capernaum. And the disciples are like, we came all the way down here through this storm for that? Are you serious? But here's what Jesus knew. That one guy who had nothing to lose was sufficient if that was coupled with the power of God to get the job done. The guy didn't understand that, but he said, Jesus, I just want to hang out with you for a while because I know that if I do, that is where it's at. And so as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. It wasn't, Jesus, what do you have to do with me? Go away. But now he's saying, Jesus, I need you in my world because he captured the vision. And when he caught it, he said, no, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in all the 10 cities how much Jesus had done for him. And the people sang, Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And they're still singing it because it's true and it is real and it is a force to be reckoned with. At the end of this message, God is a gentleman and he's not going to force himself on your life or mine. But he is going to showcase what it is that he wants to do for you and I. And he's going to offer until our last dying breath an opportunity to be pulled out of whatever that is that's keeping you from being who God made you to be. And when that time is right, he's going to bring you into his kingdom that is just a way of existing within the, within the other realities that says, I am first and foremost a child of God, citizen of God's kingdom, and the rules that apply in that kingdom only apply in that kingdom. But God's goal is that those rules would expand out into the kingdoms of the world and transform all of it. Well, that's pretty meta, but let's just say he starts with you and I. And this is a moment where he really shines if you're paying attention. And it's a moment where he's saying, I can get you through this. And I can actually take this and turn it around in your life in a way that maybe you look back in 2030 and say, boy, 2020, that was the devil. But that was the year I woke up and I began to see it. And now I'm thankful for it. Wouldn't that be awesome if God used this moment in so many lives that experienced so much trauma in so many ways 
and just to see them find the peace of the Lord. It's time for the church to be the church. We need to be together here or online. We can't do it alone because as the second sermon title would have said, I go crazy when I'm alone. Would you bow with me? Father, as we just conclude this time, I pray that if the words I've said are reflective of your intent, that they would find their landing place for your purposes in each of our lives. I just thank you for the willingness of those who have heard it to be able to come, and I pray that I haven't abused the privilege of, of, of bending their ear. But I also pray, Father, that you would work in this time for good in lives that need you more than we realize. Father, just be with our online people and help everyone in the course of this week to know your abiding presence and find ways to be community, to, community together as we pray for one another, lift up one another, talk to one another, help one another, because that's really where the church comes alive. Just bless us this week as we offer our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are ending our service at 9.57. You know, this is a weird moment when I get done on time. And you also know that it's a weird moment when, as we leave here, what we've heard expressed about the Lord is more real than ever. So God bless you guys. Bless you guys online. If we have any prayer concerns, anything that's on your heart, please contact uh, Brittany in the office or myself, um, one of the elders. Uh, we love you guys, and we hope that um, you know God's presence as you leave here.